Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You've, uh, you've interviewed people before, right? You've kind of been on the other side of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite a few times. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm both sides of it kind of for zines and stuff you were interviewing people or was it like documentaries or uh yeah i I mean haven't really done a zine since uh the early 90s (laughs) 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 i'm kind of kind of dating myself Um, but uh zines are still going oh yeah no i totally still pick them up and and still grab things um you know depending on on what they are i just i just personally haven't really um done it in that capacity and then i've i've interviewed people for like you know most recently like kind of like for books i i'm working on a book but like i've done it for other people's books like mainly they're like kind of art books and they've asked for like a conversation with someone you know so i've done those kind of things and then i've done like kind of live q a things at film screenings and book launches and you know various other things how is the book coming it's a book book about an art collective right yeah yeah it's a it's about this uh book uh art collective the uh, the loosest term of the word collective it's conceptually collective but drastically different in its members um uh, a group called the schimpfluck group started in switzerland they all kind of live in different places now but um it's coming along i was like really plowing away at it and then the pandemic happened and then um a close friend of mine uh, who I also like kind of manage and now manage their estate had passed away right when the pandemic kicked in. So um, I've been, <laughs> this whole year got kind of, or last year got shot. So I I've kind of couldn't work on it as much as I wanted to, or kind of, you know, do, do the kind of research I had planned on doing in 2020. So I actually was just kind of going through notes last night for it and going through images that one of the members had kind of had sent me last year or so. Um, I'm hoping in the next couple of months I can really dig back in and when we're allowed to travel again, 
I'll, uh, I'll kind of uh, be able to, you know, dive in, but trying to get a bunch of other things off my plate right now. So I can just like to give all my attention to it and, you know, focus solely on it. So you're still kind of at the stage where you're collecting all the various kind of interviews and material and amassing everything. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of people to speak with, even though the core members aren't that many, but a lot of people collaborated with them or worked with them. I have to do a kind of a, a realizing, you know, when you do these kind of things, I'm not just sort of researching those people or the people they worked with, but people involved in the environment around them. So I'm like kind of diving into socio-political, I guess, strife that was going on in Switzerland in the late 70s, early 80s, which as an, as an American, I was not aware of. Um, you know, when you think of Switzerland, you just think, oh, banking. <laughs> yeah, and, and neutrality. Like, yeah, chocolate, you know, expensive wristwatches. Um, you, don't, you, know, you don't really think of, you know, and plus I wasn't obviously around then. You know, I was born in the late 70s in, in you know, around here. So I can't really speak to what was going on there. What was the strife? Because as someone who's from Scotland, um, you know, I guess you know the tip, the typical shit <laughs> um, that happens everywhere. It's uh, just uh, classism. You know, there is a domineering, but yet very small upper class. You know, you know, an elite class, which I guess is the uh, the show pony for the country, and but underneath is a lot of societal problems, like really massive, you know, drug problem, opiate problem, you know, as far as I know, still happening. Um, but definitely there at that time was, it was really bad, I guess. And this might be more of a, a European thing is well, over there from like what I see as an outsider, as an American looking over there, when things really bubble over, when, you know, the kind of working class or the lower classes just fucking had it, they are not afraid to really fucking riot, (laughs) you know, like they're not afraid to just take it back Um, or at least try to attempt to get at least something, you know, and that was certainly what was happening there. There was riots there every three, four years. And these riots were pretty significant. Um, One of them, essentially they were trying to get money for uh, like a community center, like social programs, you know, things like that, you know, basic, basic things. Um, and what the government did was blow all the money on a, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say blow all the money, but essentially they've directed funds to build a new opera house for the, you know, fancy rich people to enjoy the opera. So what they did during these one riots was they just took over the opera house. They laid like pretty much laid siege and uh you know barricaded in there because the opera house was a giant glaring symbol of like a big fuck you to the working class essentially and they knew it would be and they didn't care and built it anyways and everyone was like how about fuck you we'll just take it over and all they wanted was a goddamn like community center so like something real you know and a couple social programs to be funded instead of cuts you know and so there was things like that you can't help you but be a product of that, in my opinion. And so I'm, I'm looking into a lot of that and a lot of the, all the members are just, uh, you know, the generation just after uh, 
I guess here we call them baby boomers, but, uh, you know, post-World War II, you know, Switzerland was in the thick of it. You know, they were in the, you're right in the middle and kind of skirted around and, but had to deal with the kind of cleanup afterwards, you know, when it came to, you know, who was hiding what and what banking and it got very complicated. <laughs> and so um, to try and dive into these people and their creative work and, you know, it, it's very, it's strange and it's definitely provocative, but it didn't just show up out of nowhere. And I mean, that's how like you got the Vienna actionists and stuff like that. I mean, these are a direct result of essentially world war two and the, you know, the fallout. And so you can't be all that surprised, you know, they were a neutral zone in the war, right? So everyone kind of put their money there yeah. because they viewed it as a safe mm-hmm. place. So is that what kind of fueled this, or I guess kind of widen maybe the class gap a little bit? Um, probably. I mean, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I mean, they're definitely known or at least were known. Now it's, I think people, because money was, is, uh, is a much different thing. Digitized. Commerce is a much different thing than it was now. Yeah. So we're talking like Cayman Islands and Panama and stuff now, but, um, but you know, then it was, yeah, the, 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 it was always the Swiss bank account, you know, um, I don't, I don't hear that term used so much anymore, but when I was a kid or even, uh, you know, up until like maybe 20 years ago, you always heard about oh, some rich guy when you hear someone hiding money or doing something sketchy financially. Oh, they got a Swiss bank account. Oh, they always got these all these Swiss bank accounts, and that was like a term. That was that was a thing, you know. That was always like, oh, he's got these Swiss bank accounts. Oh, he's hiding hiding money and not pay taxes and everything. Then then there was always you know things where the there was tons of like Nazi gold and Nazi uh, monies that were like kind of pilfered, and when they wanted to kind of channel it through to use on the kind of world market it was always through swiss bank accounts and so a lot of reparations and stuff um after world war ii was kind of going after swiss bank accounts but then the swiss would you know play you know oh what are you talking about we're not involved <laughs> and it's like well you kind of you're, you're definitely can be an accomplice to these things and so yeah when massive worldwide banking is your uh known export you know, and, and luxury goods, <laughs> and, uh, you know, b- below that for a tiny country, you're going to have, you know, the people at the top and then kind of everyone else, because what else is there left for everyone? I don't, I don't have all the answers to like, you know, you know, all of it. Cause I'm just starting I'm myself just learning a lot about all this stuff and kind of forming my opinions. But um, yeah, they're, they're, they definitely have a huge problem with with those kind of things but then again what country doesn't yeah i think i don't know if I, I have a feeling switzerland is the same as the uk in that they never really had a revolution and there's a weird kind of class tension mm. created as a result of that every country obviously has their class class issues but it's almost mm-hmm. kind of emphasized when you haven't had an outlet for it yeah and i never thought of that i never really thought of that that the you know the last you know i guess revolution in in the uk was 400 years ago you know what i mean and um i've tried learning about that one and i you know to save my life cannot figure out the english revolution (laughs) 
because <laughs> it was like there wasn't two sides of it you know there was like it was like literally five six people vying to be king and so and i'm just like wait what who's doing what and like you it was know this like, thing right wasn't it kind of yeah versus yeah yeah but but it turned into that but then it turned into even within that factions started to be like yeah fuck these guys i'm doing my own thing and i'm like <laughs> wow and it got very complicated <laughs> And I was like, I cannot follow this. I don't know what the hell happened, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, like, you know, you have like, you know, like in France and Spain and, and you know, uh, Italy to an extent, you know, after it was unified, you know, all over the place. But yeah, they never, I, you know, I don't, yeah, I guess they never really had that kind of that moment <laughs> that, I, that I'm aware of. I don't know if we'll see another revolution in the same way either. It feels quite constricted now. Yeah, yeah everyone's... Um, very pacified even if everything that's going on is not in their own best interest there's a lot to distract people <laughs> and you know i'm guilty of that as well yeah for sure i mean it's that whole idea that if you want to try and control a population you don't use brute force you just give them pleasure you give them fucking netflix yeah. or whatever i just rolled out of four years of <laughs> of insanity <laughs> here and uh you know, I feel like the past two days have been like, uh, oh boy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, wow. Okay. You know, but you know, doesn't mean anyone's out of the woods, you know? Has there been quite it's a palpable just... mood change in the States? Mm, e- uh, yes, but that is because I live in New York City and that it is a bubble um, because whenever I go into the rest of the country, um, it's 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 a it's a wake up it's a culture shock if you're like oh shit like okay like you know like the entire midwest is uh another fucking planet like you know parts of it are really scary like you know that are like i would never go to you know and it's it's terrifying you know to be (laughs) to be a person not uh, you know where whatever be from there or whatever yeah i i spent actually this summer um I had spent a few months staying in Las Vegas. That was definitely eye-opening to seeing how other people think about politics and everything like that, or what's important or what they choose to believe. And in, even on like a political city level, like, a, you know, on how they deal with the place, it was kind of insane. <laughs> it was really crazy. And I was, I'm still like, wow, holy shit. And then I realized, yeah. I live in New York City. It's it's much different here. People's attitudes much different, and um, and I guess you know the people I surround myself with um, generally share my I guess uh, opinion. Yeah, I guess it's fair to say. I mean, as much as it can be painful to do that, it's also a healthy thing to kind of give yourself a bit of perspective and see how you fit into the kind of bigger picture and puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. Like I don't regret peeking my peek my nose in there to see what's going on over here. Horrifying when I saw it, but (laughs) I saw it. Like I definitely, you know, I I can't be like, you know, I don't get it. You know, I definitely lived in the thick of it, you know, for a few months and was like, okay. I I mean, I get it. Don't agree with it, but I, I acknowledge that it's there and there's a lot of work that's got to be done, you know, and then not to, you know, not to so much change people's minds, but you know, cause you're not going to do that. You can bark at people all you want. You can't, you're not going to change their mind. It's uh, you know, I think change within kind of people is 
it's a bit of a long game. It's, it's a slow burn <laughs> kind of thing. And you gotta, you, they have to come to it on their own terms and um, for whatever that is, you know, whatever, whatever causes it. Sometimes it's a tragedy that causes it or, uh, you know, something within their family or, you know, or they never do. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I was speaking to a guy on the podcast a couple months back maybe six weeks ago or something, who was saying that in every other point in history when there's been a dramatic kind of social change, it's usually caused by violence. It's oh, usually caused by this big event. And and like you said, it's like in like Western countries, you know, do you, do you see that so much, you know? I mean, I think, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they uh, uh, kind of fringe group of crazy people sort of stormed the capital. And at first you're like, oh my God, that's insane. And then, you know, I was kind of thinking about it being like, well, I'm glad that kind of happened because now, because then it finally got some of these people that were enabling this like shitty behavior of, you know, Trump and people like that, you know, people, he would just do the most, the most insane things and people would just go, that's awful and not do anything about it. And I'm like, yes, can someone stop this, please? <laughs> like, you know, can someone step in here um, and drive the car? Like, because no one's driving the car right now. And finally, that when that happened, it finally got a lot of people that were kind of making excuses for the guy and kind of finally went, all right, this is, we've had it fucking, now we've had enough. Fuck, we, this guy's got to go. Like, you know, and now, you know, now he's getting put on trial and everything like that. And I'm like, good, finally, finally. <laughs> it would have been nice if this happened a couple of years ago, but I guess better late than never. But, um, but yeah, that was kind of like, uh, oh my God, these violence that happened at the Capitol. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's just no, you know, no one else was taking notice whenever he, you know, the other bullshit that was happening. So it took a flashpoint like that. So, yeah. Well, even McConnell kind of turned against him after that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I cannot, yeah. I wouldn't have seen Which that coming. Sh- it's shocking. <laughs> no, I didn't see it coming either. Um, I mean, McConnell's a real evil, rotten, human evil nasty, nasty human being. Like, across the board, he's a truly. He looks like Emperor Person. He's got that kind of yeah. atmosphere about yeah. him. Yeah. 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 Don't, he doesn't give a fuck. Like, about. I don't even think he gives a fuck even really about Republicans either. He's like. Church doesn't care. He's just like nasty. They got it. Got him to flip, and it's like no one, no one pulled, no one uh, twisted his arm on that. He's like, fuck, you know, because he he's now uh, the the danger is right on the front door, and it came, you know, it happened firsthand. So um, there's a, definitely a lot of work that's got to get done in this place um, right now. I'm just taking it day by day, <laughs> and would like to be able to go to a restaurant again or something you know so i'm just kind of looking forward to just get back to life oh yeah get back to life because you know this is getting it's been almost a year now is insane to think i i i literally was quoted to as to saying uh this will only be a couple weeks (laughs) (laughs) so uh wrong there (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think everyone was the same though. We were the same here. We got put into a three week lockdown and we were like, oh yeah, it'll be like six at most. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm like, two months most, but it'll be really good. We'll just go lock down for two months, get this thing under control. And <laughs> stupidly, I was just like, you know, there's 
people in charge of this stuff, right? You know, you got like, I mean, you know, arguably it could have been a couple months if we had done things right. Right, exactly. <laughs> Probably would have. Like, <clears throat> and I again foolishly thought, well, you know, there's people have jobs that handle these kind of things, and but no, nope, there wasn't. There's was no adults. <laughs> we had no adults in charge. Okay, you know, <laughs> so here we are. Would you classify yourself as like a collector? in life i see i seem to assume that you have a pretty sizable kind of vinyl collection and a lot of kind of art you've managed to amass over the years too um <laughs> uh i wouldn't like say like why well, you know if i was to introduce myself as like you know because there are people that definitely are like oh, i'm an art collector or whatever i'm definitely not that and um it's a passion but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I definitely get rid of things and, uh, and uh, you know, and I don't do it for any kind of real, I, I feel like collect, uh, actual serious art collectors are, uh, this is like on a, people on the uh, kind of major scale, a lot of it is they're almost like uh, bankers, like they're, it's investments and they toy with it like that. Like it's, it's a tool. Um, it's just, this is the commodity they're choosing to sort of trade in. And that's not everyone. There's some people that are just, you know, into it or whatever you know whenever i pick things up i'm definitely got a very specific way if we're just talking about artwork i I definitely have a trying to think of the best way to word it i uh have a very specific way i kind of go about it or like what i'm picking up it's fairly focused you know i'm not gonna pay like some kind of crazy money for something at some auction you know what i mean i mean if it was directly from the artist that's a different story um but um you know the things i get by people that are no longer here um or i don't know or or whatever is like uh you know i'm definitely if you if you know where to look you wouldn't believe the kind of uh deals you you can get and that's and that's not by being you know cunning or you know smarmy or anything like that it's just like art dealers and art galleries as much as they'll never admit it to you they're they're a store <laughs> they, they sell things and uh they have an inventory it's just not always all it's not on, all on display you know and they have storage facilities filled with prints and all and you know if that stuff's just sitting around if it doesn't like kind of get unloaded right away a lot of that stuff just gets kind of unloaded and then you know, estate sales kind of happen. And, you know, when there's certain collections of artwork, I know certain kind of people that deal in just that kind of stuff. And art, like anything else, goes in trends. Uh, stuff that would have been huge 10 years ago in, in certain things might, no one gives a shit. Like, you know, like five, yeah, 10 years later. Because it's, yeah, it's exactly like in fashion. You'd be shocked as to what you can get. And I mean, I'm not trying to get like a, you know, like a Gerhard Richter painting, but you can get like a signed, you know, print and stuff like that, you know, signed. And there's like an edition of, you know, 50 or 100 for a reasonable price, you know, and it's from his studio, you know, this is, it's not like some, you know, it's not like a poster, you know, it's like, Sometimes you play your cards right, you can get like a Brian Geisen kind of thing for not a ton of money. For what people probably spend on records in a month, you wouldn't believe the kind of stuff, <laughs> the kind of artwork you could pick up, you know, and even for less than a hundred dollars, you know, like, oh, cool, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, you can get some like Dieter Rowe thing or something, you know, an original, like, you know, and so 
and then you know because like i think people you know see that you're like picking up artwork you know or whatever and you you know they instantly think "Ooh, fancy or anything it's like no actually like i'm probably spending less money than how you you know another person spends on records or going out drinking or drugs or you know whatever they spend their money on in a month i just choose to budget it differently you know like i have a job and everything so it's you know i'm just like well i'm certainly not going out to eat right now so i'm not going out to restaurants so you know rather rather buy that you know and records is just kind of i've always been into records i mean that kind of what part of led me to you know eventually putting out records so that's just been piling you know that's been piling up since i was a teenager so that's kind of nothing new yeah i was speaking to someone else the other day who was thinking about getting into records but was speaking about how it cost you know quite a bit of money to kind of invest in it and i was saying it just takes time you know you build it up over the years yeah so they're so they're looking at it like they weren't picking it. So were they, were they thinking about it? Like they they never were picking up records. They've never bought records like, before they were thinking about starting. It was like, it just seems like quite a costful hobby. And I was like, you just buy, a, you just buy a record a week, you know, for yeah. a few years. And before you know it, you've got a few hundred records. Time flies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You buy a record a week or two or something like that, but just like, or just don't think about it. Like, I mean, like, and that's the thing is size kind of doesn't matter, you know, like as long as you're picking up things that you enjoy and you like, and you're going to listen to, you know, cause I'm always getting rid. I used to, when I was younger, I was always like trying to, I don't know. I don't know what was going through my head of like, uh, trying to amass some like diverse library of Congress kind of idea of how I was collecting music. Like I have to have a representative of all genres and like all these things. And I'm like, I'm not listening to half of this shit, you know? So, and I mean, I appreciate it, but there's certain, and there's also certain things where I'm like, nowadays I'm like, do I really need to own this in my house? I'll still listen to it, but am I okay listening to it online or, you know, where I don't need a, a physical of it. So I just try and keep it on. Do I throw this on in my house? Not like what I listen to, like this walking around. Would I listen to this at home? Would I take this out and put it on? And that's kind of where it it allowed me to get rid of a ton of records. So, what is the difference there for you? What is the kind of difference between a record you'll just throw on when you're going for a walk, or one you actually want to keep as a physical kind of manifestation of it? Well, well, it kind of. I mean, I'm always listening to kind of something just because. in New York, you kind of walk everywhere. You're not like in a car or anything, and you're on the subway. I mean, I mean, it definitely crosses. I mean, I definitely listen to more what people would call difficult listening at home. I mean, it's just what I like listening to here. I mean, I, I play, you know, whatever, but I definitely listen to, I guess, things I have to pay attention to more or or choose to pay attention to more. I listen to at home when I'm out walking around. It's more... Uh, uh, things I don't have to really kind of process is deeply or things I've listened to a million times. So they're very familiar to me. I know I'm front and back, you know, I'll, I'll kind of do that. And and then frankly, I mean, past years, I mainly listen to podcasts when I'm out of the house and walking around. That's sort of my guilty pleasure. But I also listen to like the news on podcasts and stuff like that. Like in the morning, I listen to the New York Times podcast and stuff like that. 
Yeah, it's a good way of getting that information. Yeah, yeah. It, it sometimes starts your day off a little stressful. Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> not that not, uh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, you'll like after 20 minutes of listening to the times, you're just like, holy shit, <laughs> the world's the world's in peril. <laughs> like, and now I gotta like start the day. <laughs> All right, great. Um, so I try and take breaks from it, but. But I also listen to like, you know, a bunch of, you know, interviews ones and, uh, you know, I don't know, I listen to like Planet Money, a bunch of NPR ones, like, you know, things like that. And they're always kind of fun. I just like facts, you know, so they're, they're just kind of neat for that. So, yeah, it's funny that we're in an era where probably for the first time in history that the spoken word is more powerful than the written word. Like what you're saying about the yeah. New York Times podcast, you know. Previously, people would have taken that information in through a newspaper. Now it's a podcast. Uh, you know, I was talk. I was saying something similar to that last week or something. I was talking about my de- my father still reads the newspaper and how he saw something in the newspaper. He was telling someone about something he read in the newspaper, and we just thought how funny that was. He still reads the newspaper, and then we got talking. I was like, hey, whenever I take the subway in New York, like you know, twenty years ago, I'd be going to work. And the big thing was people would hand out these free newspapers at the top of the stairs in the morning. They're called like dailies. And they're just like a little 10 page mini newspaper. And they just kind of have kind of like yesterday's news, (laughs) essentially. It was like kind of crap. It wasn't anything really that good, but it, you know, it was made to be read on the 20 minutes here on the train. And then you toss it out when you're done. And how everyone in the train would be reading either a newspaper or a daily. It's just like how it went. And then I'm like, yeah, I've never. And I think I said something like I saw someone reading a newspaper on the train the other day and it like blew my mind. I was just like, whoa, I haven't seen anyone reading a newspaper in general. Like, but then I was like, oh, but my dad still does, you know, he always talks about it. I do quite like getting one sometimes. If you're on a, you can have up on a Sunday morning, you go and get some coffee, yeah. you get a newspaper, you go back home and read it. It can be quite a nice thing. D- really? You, you, you do that? Not every Sunday. I'm I'm talking like once every six weeks or something, maybe. Not at the moment with COVID, huh. but I used to enjoy doing it, you know, before. Oh, shit. Yeah, I never thought to do that. I might start, I might have to steal that, your idea <laughs> there. I might actually go out and get a newspaper just for the fuck of it. Because like, you're right, it is a nice break from all this, like, you know, um, but you're still staying informed, but it's actually nice to like read something, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's funny we've spoken about both now, you know, collecting things and newspapers. Because did you used to kind of collect lists that a guy had scrolled out onto newspapers in a bookshop that you worked in? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, you're really uh, catching all these uh, kind of obscure things. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a guy, and we didn't talk much. I, I tried talking to him a couple times. He wasn't interested in talking to me or really anyone else for that matter. He, he, he was mentally ill. I, I don't know if he was homeless. Um, I assumed he was, but I, you know, I don't know where he went after he could have been staying somewhere, but he would come in to the cafe and he would be there all day, like 12 hours. He'd come in about three times, three, four times a week. And he would grab a ton of magazines and he wouldn't deface the magazines or anything like that. And that's kind of why, at least on my end, I was just like, just leave him alone. Who cares? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, let him do his thing. And, um, he would have these, uh, you know, the subscription cards that would come outside of magazines. You get those or like pieces of newspaper that were already like kind of discarded and stuff like that. 
or he would do it on those dailies that I was talking about. And he would uh, write these very elaborate lists with years front and back. And then sometimes there was like, like little like lines, like he was connecting something. And I, you know, I always wanted to ask him because I found them obviously fascinating, but I thought they were really beautiful. Like, um, uh, you know, I, I had a couple that, you know, I gave them to like a friend, like one I gave to a friend is like a gift. And I was like, Hey, you know, I really thought these were really beautiful, like a drawing or something, you know, yeah. I, I looked at them as like artwork and I really liked them. I mean, it was 20 over 20 years ago and I still have them, you know, and I, I really like them. And I, every time I pull them out, I'm like, just stare at him and, and think of him. They eventually had to um, ban him because he, and I, I, I think I found out if I'm remembering correctly, he was schizophrenic and he um, attacked a, a kid. Like there was like a four-year-old girl with her mother and he had an episode and like pretty violently attacked the mother and uh, the little kid like started like punching a four year old girl. I wasn't there that day. I just kind of heard about it the next day. And so he was, I guess, arrested or, or banned or, you know, I don't really know whatever happened to him, but that was sh- shortly before I, I quit working there, but you know, for a good year, I just, and um, when he would be done drawing them, he would, at the end of the night, you kind of have to tell him to leave. Like he would, you'd be like, we're closing now. <laughs> you know, you've been here 10 hours and he would, he'd just get up and leave. Sometimes he'd mumble or something like that. And he'd leave and he would put his magazines away, which I appreciated. And he'd put everything away, but he would purposely leave his, his drawings for these list drawings he would make in the middle of the table. Like he'd put his magazines away. He'd come back and put them on the, like he would set them up on the, he'd watch them set them up on the table and they were like left there for whoever. So I started collecting them because he's like leaving them for know, like a present or a talisman or I don't know really what his, what his purpose was for doing it. And then I, yeah, I would collect them. And then uh, other people that worked there knew I was collecting them. So if I wasn't there, they'd save them for me and give them to me. Do you think he knew you were? Uh, I don't know. I I, I, I said I, the couple times I tried speaking to him, he made it very clear he was not interested in speaking with me. <laughs> or, or, yeah, I was just like, okay. And, and I respected his, his boundaries. I didn't want to upset him. and uh, But I liked what he was doing. I was a fan. Have you still got them? Yeah. Yeah, I still got them. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll always have them. You know, every so often, if someone like likes them, I'm like, oh yeah, you take one. I have like a ton of them. So, um, but yeah, they're really they're really nice. I enjoy works on paper and and kind of these ephemeral lists and stuff like that. So, it was like right up my alley. That year we were speaking about the same year you were kind of collecting those lists. That was the same year that Gibby, who you now run the label with, borrowed your copy of Clash of the Titans. I believe. Yeah. How long did he borrow that copy for? I don't know, but he he completely trashed it. Like, well, I, I think what he claims is his roommates trashed it. Um, I let him borrow it, and then he had a party at his house, and I think someone used my DVD as a coaster or something like that. Um, yeah, it was like 2002 or three, somewhere around there. 20 years ago almost. Yeah, it was almost 20 years ago. Well, 2003, I think. And yeah, <laughs> so it was always an inside joke of, uh, 
Cause I, I remember when it happened or whatever, he was just like, cause this, he lived across the street from me, like directly across the street. I lived at 92 second Avenue was my address. I think I'm remembering that correctly. And he was at like 91 or 93 or something like our, our doors lined up directly across second Avenue in the East village in New York city. So I could come out and if he was on his um, fire escape, you know, we could just yell across Second Avenue to one another, but um, yeah, like I let him. I think I brought it over to watch, and we never watched it or something. And you know, he lived in this house with all these like uh, artists and 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 various people that kind of owned a gallery below it called uh, I think it's called Fuse Gallery or something like that. I'm remembering it right. And um, yeah, they would always have people there and like kind of partying and stuff and. Yeah, they they were in my. The the old joke was the the DVD was probably three dollars or two dollars, but I was like, "You owe me it." He's like, "I'll buy you a new DVD," and then he just never did, and he did, and you know, obviously, because who cares? Um, and then I think I made fun of him for not never, you know, buying me a new DVD, and then out of nowhere, it was like a couple years ago like four or five, I mean, four years ago, I get this like random package in the mail and it's a copy of Clash of the Titans on DVD. And he's like, sorry, it took so long to get back to you. And I was like, you, <laughs> it was, it, it was good. Like that was a good delivery, you know? Were you kind of growing close at that point? Were you getting pretty good friends? Yeah. Yeah. We were pretty good friends. Um, at that point, um, we had met briefly, and a few years prior in Boston, I want to say it was 99, 2000-ish, we had met, you know, very in passing, like at a couple of the same parties in Boston, but we weren't like hanging out or anything. And then we kind of sort of sort of reconnected, but really kind of were actually hanging out probably around 2002 or three, kind of around that time. And that's kind of how it was. Like we just had a ton in common and then we just started like hanging out a ton and we just, we, we kind of ran in the same circles in New York. So the whole time we just sort of were, we were in the same room, you know, all, multiple times a week. So eventually we were going to get to know one another because even though New York's like nine, eight, nine million people, it's, it's a small town in certain, in certain other, you know, senses. You're saying that to someone who's from a town of about 2,000 people, though. <laughs> <laughs> what town are you from? Kintore, or I guess it's maybe three or 4,000 now. Tiny little town in northern Scotland, Aberdeenshire. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So so up there. Yeah. Wow. Way up in the north, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Kind of labeled Drew McDowell. He, he's from Paisley, but he spent he, most of his time, he lived in Glasgow for, you know, a good chunk of his life. He's, but he's from Paisley, you know, so I get, which is, I guess, right there, you know. Yeah. Glasgow's kind of the musical hub to a certain degree, I guess. I mean, there is stuff kind of going yeah. on everywhere, but it's just with the nature of it being a bigger population, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, uh, he, he actually lives near me now. <laughs> he lives like, you know, on the other side of the neighborhood. We hang out pretty regularly. He's got amazing stories of Glasgow in like the late seventies, early eighties, like some crazy stories. I imagine. Stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> completely fucking insane. Like you know, I'm just like, holy shit, it's a miracle he's alive. Um, but w- wild as hell. Um, yeah, Glasgow's. Uh, I think it's calmed down a little. I think. Has it calmed down a bit? 
Yeah. I mean, I always kind of like liked that about it. I was like, Ooh, Glasgow, it's rowdy. Cool. <laughs> like, you know, like I, I, I oh, it's, really it's still rowdy, pre- appreciated but... that. Cool. I mean, imagine New York's the same. New York in the eighties compared to now would have been a little bit crazy, I suppose maybe. Or Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. Um, it is a completely different place. I mean, it's a completely different place than 10 years ago or 20 years ago. It was like completely different. I wouldn't say it's still rowdy. It's just, it's a strange place. And the people, and if you live here, there is a certain level of just bizarre, absurd behavior that you just put either put up with or ends up becoming kind of normal to you. I feel, and you definitely don't experience that really anywhere else. I mean, I guess every city's got their thing, but here it's just like, it's a whole bizarre culture that just ends up in people's like kind of like DNA, (laughs) you know, it's like, it it definitely gets in your blood of like the, how to act. I mean, I, I always feel uh, that, you know, I mean, if you can, and I don't mean make it as in like be a huge success and a star. I just mean like actually just live day to day. I mean, if you can make it, make you know, living. just like make a living, you know, be an electrician or work at a bookstore, do whatever. But if you can just hack it, I think anywhere else, at least that I've been able to suss out, you, you, you'll be all right. You know, there's definitely a lot of like, you got to figure out a lot of shit for yourself here. But there's also amazing amount of uh, things at your disposal here so if you're resourceful you would not believe that you know the kind of wild shit you can kind of do here you know you it's you can get lost in the lost in the mix and you can definitely you know and i'd say you know i i get this kind of impression in los angeles as well you can create your own little world here and never really leave it like you know you can create your, your paradise. You can, you can certainly create your own hell um, in any of these places too. But, you know, if you really want to come here and fully immerse yourself, but also kind of make your own little yeah world, it it's doable. It's not even doable. It's kind of what everyone does. That's how you, that's part of, part of the survival technique. How do you feel that feeds into death? Yeah. I mean, You know, I was about to like say that it's like, well, it kind of doesn't because since we've started this, Gibby's always been in Los Angeles. We we started it when he had already moved and I was here. I wouldn't say it was like that when we first started it. It it certainly it certainly happened. Like it, it certainly became a thing. Like it, it definitely created its own like little microcosm that was not intentional, which is good because you know nothing worse than when someone forces something like look what I'm doing I'm creating this you know and people come out there with like a whole mission mission statement and you know that's great I'm glad people have a plan and can do the thing but personally I prefer things to happen like or organically. And, and nothing is forced. Um, you know, I mean, the label has gone through so many different changes and, and, you know, and so, yeah, it, it just sort of kind of happened. And I think it was just based on the curation of the music that we were putting out, but there was, you know, you know, certain labels, they stick to like one or two genres of music and you'll, you end up kind of, I feel like painting yourself into a corner 
where you're just like, ah, I'm stuck doing only this genre of music. And I, I kind of never want to be, have that problem, you know? So, and it, I'm not going to put out a ska record tomorrow or anything like that, but like, I, you know, I definitely don't like to stick to when someone's like, Oh, it, that's like a, you know, a style of, of what Dave's putting out. I'm like, well, what is that? Like, you know, like, cause I don't feel like there's any kind of style, but there is definitely a bit of a, a like a world like within it and that people have floated in and out of and, and, and that's great. And, uh, and that there's, it's not tied to one specific thing or nothing or, you know, maybe someone can pin something on it, but like, you know, I, I, I do like that it's fluid and that it can change and evolve and, you know, take on uh new things you know and that and that people can rely uh, trust it and to rely on it be like this might be something that I'm, that's worth hearing you know what i mean even though it's not something maybe we typically have done or but it's sort of in the wheelhouse if that makes sense like you know what i mean it's 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 different but it's not drastically different you know what i mean and I, hey i appreciate labels that again, stick to, you know, they're just like a metal label or just a hip hop label or whatever. And especially ones that like kind of document their own scene, you know, and, and that, and that that's cool. I really, I really like that because it's good for someone like me to, when I want to hear what's, what's happening in these things. And I'm always trying to like, you know, kind of poke my nose in there and, and, and see what other people are doing and as a fan. Um, but, you know, I don't think you need to really be, genre specific you know like that uh do you know that label and apologies if i'm butchering the name uh nega nega tapes out of uganda i'm unfamiliar well uh, it's this label um it's out of uganda they kind of deal with like you know this kind of music scene their own scene in uh, kampala or yeah in in there but i know they've branched out into like other areas of of africa and in other cities and stuff and it's all makes sense on the label like everything a everything they've put out is absolutely amazing there's not one even remotely bad record it's like every record i will buy it because i know it's going to be amazing even though i have no fucking idea what it sounds like before getting it i'm just like yeah yeah i'll take it like it's going to be my favorite record i already know this but when I have to tell people, like, when people are like, oh, what's the stuff on this label sound like? I was trying to explain it the other time. I'm like, fuck if I know. You know what I mean? Like, every release is kind of all over the place, but it all makes sense in this little, I should say, little kind of world that they've created. And yeah, it definitely sticks with that region of Africa, but they're all over the place. And I think the more that they document what's happening there, that is now getting a chance to be heard outside of, you know, this kind of closed off area, you know, cause everyone, everyone thinks out of music out of Africa, they're just thinking of, you know, that continental traditional African music and variations of that. Well, you know what kids living in the city and uh, Kampala and stuff like that, that's not what they're really listening to. They're either probably listening to Western music or they're creating their own version of whatever they're into um, using the resources they have and the influences they have, obviously they have a much different 
base of influence. And obviously, and like I said, like we were talking about earlier, that we're always these products of our environment. So when I'm listening to records on that label, I'm just like taking in so much of like these people that are, are, are products of their environment and it, it's beyond inspiring. Like, I'm just like, wow. Like, I'm so excited about what is happening just as a fan, you know, I just like, you know, always keep it at arm's length. Cause I just want to just voyeuristic. I'm just like love what the music is. And it's just like, wow, there's so much great music. And then I'm thinking, what else is out there that I haven't heard or I have no idea about, you know, and that's always going to be the, the the chase you know and i guess that's why i live in an apartment of a million records you know i'm constantly like oh shit there's these records being put out of god you know wherever you know and i'm like great let's check it out like let's see what's happening there you know and and it takes a uh, some people like with a really good ear and a good sense of curation to start a label to put all that out you know, so I, I definitely like really, uh, really appreciate people that do have these kind of like, you know, sort of visions when they're when they're doing a label and stuff like that. Well, I mean, I think like you said, the thing with Deus is that although there isn't a specific genre, every artist in their own right has their very own individual kind of personal specific world that they exist in. And that's what kind of ties mm-hmm. it together is that everyone has that for themselves. Yeah, and, you know, and there is a level of, I mean, I'd say for the most part, everyone on the label somewhat knows each other in some capacity and are friends. And even people that weren't, like, you know, that just kind of we sort of met along the way entered up kind of becoming friends with people. On, you know, there's people on our label that did not know each other until they were both on dais and then they start touring together and now they hang out and not, you know what I mean? Now they're spending holidays together. You know what I mean? So it's just like, but they never knew each other beforehand, you know, and that's kind of great too. But making a community. Yeah, it's definitely a community. And I don't want to speak for everyone on our label, but as far as I was concerned, you know, that sense of kind of community definitely saved my life when I was really young, you know, with like kind of counterculture and punk and things like that my life could have turned out very differently. I definitely embrace that and appreciate it and, and, and cherish it. And I'm glad that, you know, it can still, it's still going, you know, there, there is that kind of the level of it. Yeah. There, there's this kind of just as weird sort of vibe. Everyone's got their own thing that they're doing. They're very independent, but you know, we're all at the end of the day, like, well, all are like, powwowing about like trying to create something you know communally and i think that kind of diy community spirit and attitude that we're talking about it gives you a certain freedom as well to do really creative things like um who was it that did their album show like at an airport a while back (laughs) adult adult yeah Yeah. adult yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) that that show was pretty awesome (laughs) just because you had to go to the airport, an airport like, yeah. and it was, yeah, it was an air, it wasn't an airport. Uh, the funny thing is it was inside a giant hangar, Beautiful. but you had to like park on a park on a runway. So it's like, um, it used to be the main airport of Detroit and then they built a new airport, you know, I don't know how long ago. Um, so that, that airport is now like, a like a municipal airport. 
you know, for people, I guess they have like private jets or, you know, or whatever, like local, like smaller flights or whatever land there. Yeah. You take a, you would take a flight out of that airport. It's just like a County airport almost now, but it's a, it's a big airport. Cause it was, it was the airport for a while. They stop it. So they, they purposely, you know, as a courtesy, like, uh, made sure there was no flights that evening, you know, ended flights early and allowed us to, you know, you know, rent, rent this thing out. So you had to park cause there was a ton of people there. It was fucking a huge, a huge event and you had to park on the runway. <laughs> so like we're all this pulling these cars in this fucking runway. And then you go inside this giant hangar and there was the show, um, boy harsher played. Um, and yeah, adult was playing. And it was amazing. And I just remember there was kind of like a, like a false wall curtain kind of thing set up. And so you could see there was another part of the hangar and I just kind of peeked behind it because no one was paying attention to it or guarding it or anything. And I just kind of like look over and I was like, holy shit, there's like two fucking planes over there. Like I'm just right on the other side of this curtain because it's a hangar. And I'm just like looking around at the, I don't know how many people were there. Uh, a lot it filled the whole hangar and i'm like there's a lot of people here are drunk on drugs you know partying it's party and they're about 10 feet from a, just a airplane sitting right, <laughs> right here and i was just waiting for at some point someone acid or something like that to like commandeer an airplane ATA. and i would see and yeah and see the airplane like pull out and everything it would have been you know pretty wild but it never happened it was actually a smooth very smooth great event you know no problems and so but i saw that airplane and i was like oh shit <laughs> i was like that's i was like someone should have locked these up or put them somewhere else <laughs> like i guess they were hiding in plain sight i think i was the only person who maybe noticed them well we're on the um the kind of topic of wild creative freedom and ideas. Who was it that etched Epstein didn't kill himself onto their record? Oh, uh, it was uh, Raphael, uh, or sorry. Yeah, it was in the Matrix. Yeah, that was, that was kind of fun. There's, it definitely sparked some controversy because everyone was like, you know, yeah, fuck him. And I was like, well, he 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 well he was murdered um and um yeah he yeah just kind of stating the obvious and um you know that sucks for uh the victims you know it was more a statement of this is you know just when you think you got justice because he's dead it's like oh no you didn't because there's people above him you know <laughs> there was people he wasn't the top of the he wasn't the top of the totem pole that's, that's why he was killed because was, he would have spoken up yeah exactly a hundred percent that's it and so that's what i think was lost on a couple people us putting on there's just a statement of you know just because he's dead doesn't mean the underlying problem went away or the the uh, not even the you know the underlying problem is just that whole chain of events is still going on it's just going on somewhere else and I'm sure you're going to hear about another Jeffrey Epstein kind of character in another 15 years or God, you know, how long and it just shows you that like, you know, you didn't, you didn't cut the head off. Yeah. You know, it, with that one. It's like, what's that Greek myth, you know, where you cut the head off and two more grow back the Hydra. Is it? Exactly. The, the Hydra. Yeah. You took that off and the that, you know, about 10 heads probably showed up. Um, so, you know, that's what was on there. 
I didn't expect it to come out so clearly because <laughs> they like stamped it in, you know, the, the plant. I was like, oh, whoa, that's like, look pretty clear. That's bold. Yeah, it looked, it looked very clear. It's funny because we, every so often, we'll ask people if they want to do like a etching in the Matrix. And I don't know about you, but I was like, when I was younger, like kind of like punk and stuff like that, that was a thing. You would always get records and you'd always want to see what the message was like etched in the Matrix. And it was always like something you totally didn't understand because it was clearly an inside joke with the people, the people in the band or that made the record or whatever, and or, or a reference or something. So you have, but I loved still reading them and like finding out what they were, and so and almost all of them had it on there. Like almost all of them had a weird goofy message, and so yeah, we always made it a point to try and. Um, try and do them whenever you know people are into it you know tor lundvall our label he always has etching messages and they're always like some uh, like a reference to like the, uh like a joke with his brother or something or like a family thing about like his childhood and stuff like that there's like ones all talking about micronauts these like toys from the 70s and stuff like that or like it's on but he's always got like a, a line that references something they're always very specific is working at Dias a nine to five job five days a week or is it a twenty four seven job? Oh, it's twenty four seven. I mean, I have another job, like uh, you know, you know, I, I I work in entertainment law, so that's kind of what I do. And Gibby's uh, and it, you know works in like ad tech stuff, which is also which you know has a level of stress of just time. But um, it also adds a level of freedom is like, you know, we don't have to make a, a living off the the label so we can take more, you know, risks and things like that when it comes to like, you know, cool ideas and things like that, or just try something out. Like we're not like, oh, the bottom line. It's like, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're cognizant of the bottom line. We obviously don't want to like you know drive ourselves into like financial ruin or something like that or like drive ourselves into the ground but we're able to you know be like yeah like we can have a little little freedom with like trying out a new packaging idea and stuff like that and you know because that is a that is a risk you know and if people aren't into it and you're you know stuck with a huge bill and a ton of stuff you know and so that that is but that ends up becoming yeah kind of a 24 7 thing like you know uh, at night you know work on some stuff or during the morning it's kind of like all over and then you know i mean in recent years we were able to hire people so we've been able to you know now we have like a couple people that are on like a you know like a salary and took a lot off of me and Gibby, you know, takes a little bit of which the weight is great. Off. Takes a little bit of the weight off, and that we can now focus on pulling together more ambitious projects because we have the time. Because we don't have to sit there. Because you know, before it was just me, and, just me and him, and uh, just designing everything and doing all the stuff. And I used to do the mail order out of here. I used to do all my own. I, mean, I turned my garage into like a warehouse for, for a bit. That was nuts. And um, it just, the thing is, it, the label just wasn't slowing down or anything. It just, I was always like, well, we'll get on top, we'll get on top, we'll get on top of it, you know? And then I'm just like, I can't keep up, 
you know, and uh, it was just getting bigger and bigger. And it's not like, I guess we're sort of trying, but like, that wasn't the intention. It just was happening. And I was just like, ah, shit, you know? And then I, so now we got like all the mail orders handled at a, at an outside warehouse, like logistics company, like, you know, that handles doing records. It's a whiplash uh, makes these card makes their own cardboard mailers. And so doing things like that actually made things much better. Now we have a grasp on inventory and like can do things like we can. Yeah. And it also frees us up to do other things. Cause we're not like, you know, slaving away and going to the post office or any of that kind of stuff. I remember I got annoyed a couple months ago or like a month ago. Cause I had to go to the post office. I used to be at the post office. I got, I was at the post office so much that the women at the post office invited me. One of them invited me to her son's graduation party. I was That's how well I knew her. She's like, oh, my son's graduated. And I, and I, I was actually considering going because she was like family, you know, but uh, I wasn't around that weekend. But, uh, you know, like that's how that's how much I went there. I, that's how close I became with the people at the post office. Like we were friends you know i would see him on the street and they'd give me a hug and stuff like that yeah we were friends and so then i had to go to the post i hadn't been in the post office really in years and i was like oh <laughs> you know i was like and i'm like and then i checked myself i'm like really ryan you're 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 fucking irritated right now like you you should be thankful you're only coming here like two times a year it's funny we we touch upon the kind of slight financial side to running a label there how do you even, how do you kind of fund a label from the get-go? How do you get the financing to get something like this off the ground? I mean, so, I mean, certain people have like financial backing and stuff like that, or like have a group of people with me and Gibby, we, we truly didn't know what the hell we were doing or where to start or whatever. But I just asked some people, but to financially, I think me and Gibby put in, we just split the cost. <laughs> crossed our fingers and hopefully we made our money back it, it was a uh, it was a risk worth taking but i i think it was like we each put in like a i don't know like fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand or something like that but it was all like spread out it's not like i had like a you know a lot of cash for that much or something like that it was like okay we're gonna get uh we gotta get we got i got these tapes from the 60s they're on real to real gotta get them transferred first all right. I found a guy that transferred, you know, just asked friends, you know, I was like, where, where do I do this? Like, you know, now it's, you know, very easy. But back then it was like, I didn't know. <laughs> I don't know where he's, how he's supposed to go about doing this. So I got someone to do that. And then we just split the bill. You get the bill. Okay. We'll split it. And we each paid half and half. And then, and then we would just be like, okay, now we got to get it, I guess, mastered. <laughs> like, yeah, all right. Let's start there. And we split the bill. And so we did that with the pressing. And then when we got the, the kind of start getting money back on it, we just knew how much each of us had, had paid, paid out. And then um, we just paid ourselves back. And we kind of did that for a while, the first, definitely the first few releases, because it's not like it made so much money that, uh, you know, we could, uh, you know, finance all this stuff because we didn't make that many records. So, you know, we had a little bit and we put it towards the next record, which, you know, was maybe a couple hundred bucks. And then we just do it over again. Okay, put that hundred bucks. I guess that will pay for mastering. And, but now we got to pay for pressing again. And, um, and we just did it like that. And we were just, 
pay for it ourselves until things started getting, you know, a little more where it uh, paid for itself, you know, where the ball, the ball got rolling. So that's kind of how we did it. We just kind of the first few releases, this is like 12, 13 years ago, we would just kind of just split it and then pay ourselves back and hopefully we would sell them all. Um, there was a couple of times where we were like, I think we're gonna have to wait a minute to get paid back on the money and, and then still front, you know, but like I said, me and Gibby had jobs. So we just save a little money or use our credit card and just do that. And then when it became like an actual like thing, you know, when it became more of a serious label, we then had like kind of like the ball rolling and say, you know, we're getting like monthly distribution kind of payments and things like that. We were able to start a proper company and run everything through that. And then, you know, and then that just kind of, kind of just kept going. So that's really, we didn't really have like a a lump of money at first, (laughs) to be honest. I mean, some people, a lot of people do, but we, we didn't, I don't, I don't recommend that as like uh, business advice, (laughs) but um, again, we had jobs. So, you know, if it, it was, it was a hobby at first, it was just this fun thing we wanted to do and had access to some interesting weird material that you know i was like it'd be cool if it came out wouldn't it <laughs> and then had friends making music i was just like kind of like looked around i was like well friends over here doing cool stuff i'm making music with my friend i guess we'll put those out too with this other weird stuff and then gibby's like oh you should see what's happening out in la so this other stuff you know and it just kind of like one thing led to another led to another yeah and like you're not paying attention, and then all of a sudden it's 2021, and you're like, "Holy shit, <laughs> what is all this stuff?" But yeah, now it's like you know, an an actual business, and there's people that work for it, and you know, so, you know, it's all kind of spread out now and stuff. I mean, you've come upon stuff as well, though, like a lot of the borough stuff that you kind of put out hadn't been released at all before. You kind of discovered it lurking in vault somewhere, right? Or well, no the the borough the borough's record that we reissued had come out it was a reissue of a record that came out on industrial records in 1981 or two it's 81 and i just had a kind of a connection with with that stuff um like a personal connection a person that i managed for years i started off working like kind of cataloging their archives and helping out with stuff like that and then eventually became their manager for about 13 years and they just passed away last year they um, had initially put it out on their label. And so, and I realized, and to me, I mean, I'm a fan of Burroughs and stuff like that, but a lot of the Burroughs records that come out or people are releasing unreleased things, it's just like more like kind of like audiobooks. It's either like an audiobook of him reading, which is, is fine. Or it's like Burroughs mixed with like Kirk Cobain or some shit. Yeah. Like, what did Cobain shit. do with him? Was it just Cobain kind of playing along to him? What was the story? Yeah. 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 I'm, I remember I got that record in the 90s at this uh, at this kind of record store where I grew up. It, was, it had to be like 94, 95 or so I came out. And um, I remember being not that into it. I haven't listened to it in a really long time. But it's like I got it because I love Burroughs and stuff so but we're collaboration yeah you know i guess maybe looking back on it now maybe not so weird but at the time i was just like this is odd (laughs) like you know it was a a massive pop star collaborating with yeah yeah but yeah so like i felt like a lot of the burles records 
in the getting reissued or coming out it was all this kind of stuff and like the one record that i mean i had an original copy of it was nothing here but now but the recordings and that was to me the most that was burrows that was the most fascinating it was the most that record is all over the place talk about a record that has no genre it's just like field recordings him reading sounds edits caught it's just like you're just like what the hell is this it's a it's a totally bizarre record and no one had reissued it and yet i work with the person who not only initially put it out but edited the thing and like helped make it happen and went and did the did the work so through that connection, I kind of was able to get the original master tape and like all these things and worked with the, you know, the, the Burroughs estate, uh, the, uh, James Garholtz uh, was kind enough to send me the, um, the original uh, master tape. And um, yeah, we finally got it to come back out after all these fucking years, um, which is great. Cause like, you know, I get it. Records are rare for whatever reason or cost, whatever, for whatever reason. And I'm not demeaning that or, you know, what people want to spend on them or whatever, but I am happy to with records like that. I think any, any kid should be able to walk in a record store and get that Burroughs record. Cause to me, it was a, it's a game changer. It was a complete game changer. I look at it like, cause I used to go and obviously I've been collecting records since I was like now 12, you know? And, uh, and so I would look at those, re- those expensive records on the wall where I was like, Oh, I wish I had money to get those. Like, you know, cause I know it's something cool or something like really something that I really want to hear, but I couldn't afford that. And then, you know, living in New York when I, when we were talking about working in that bookstore, uh, there was days where I'm like, okay, I got $10 to eat for the next couple of days. <laughs> so it's going to be me eating, you know, wonton soup for book 25 at the place around the corner. It's, you know, you make, you figure it out, but I, you know, still was loving records and music and I would go into, uh, you know, record stores and stuff in New York and I'd see all these like records I would kill to have. It was just way out of my reach, you know, like, and so but then, you know, I'd get a little bit of money, you know, I'd get like maybe like 40, 50 bucks and could go in and buy two or three records. You know, I was, I was thankful for reissues at that point, you know, cause I was like, Oh cool. That record is normally $200. I can get for 16 bucks now, you know, like I can finally have it. And I'm now like, uh, you know, looking out for that kid, you know, whoever they are can go in and be like, Oh, cool! That original Burroughs pressing—it's yeah, like two hundred bucks or whatever. Fuck that! So, you know, let some rich person or someone's got disposable income—not a rich person, but like someone's disposable income—can buy that one. You should be able to hear it, and you should be able to have a copy. And there it is for regular, normal retail price. You know, have at it. Let it ruin your mind. You know, and same with a lot of the reissues we did. Cool, like and I keep it in print. You should always be able to walk into a store and get a copy. And, you know, people, we've definitely gotten like annoying emails and messages and people threatening, you know, you're devaluing it. You know, they're just gatekeepers because they're just very uh, nerdish, like, uh, like the little, uh, the, that golem creature in Lord of the Rings or Selfish, whatever, you know. I think just, is the word yeah. opposed to nerdish. Yeah. Yeah. It's very selfish. And it's just like, hey, you don't own this. Like, you're just, you know, what right do you have? You know what I mean? And like, and it's, um, it's sad and, and pathetic. 
And so um, I'm happy to piss those people off by just being <laughs> like, yeah, cool. Um, I'm looking out for the people that actually listen to their records and like listen to the music and, and take it in and, and, and appreciate it. You know what I mean? You know, and those people generally don't have a lot of uh, disposable income. So them spending $16 or $18 on just a regular copy of a record, that's a, that's a big deal to them. You know what I mean? That's maybe the only record they're going to get that month. And so, cool, I made that available. And that's why it's like people are, you, know, we'll get, you, you kind of can't win. You'll get criticized on everything you do. But, um, uh, you know, if you're like, you make all these colored vinyls and da, 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 and they're limited and then they go for crazy money. And I'm like, uh, we're not selling them for crazy money. I'm not on eBay <laughs> selling things we've never done, you know. I'm not doing that. It's other people. I can't control what other people do. And uh, yeah, the colored vinyls a, a bit more. And we try and like thwart people from like flipping them. We've definitely been proactive when we see people are clearly buying up the limited edition ones to flip. And we've like canceled their orders. We're like, no, like, sorry. Like, you can you're buy not, one. You're, yeah. We're, yeah, you can buy one or we're not. And if you keep doing it, we're just you blocked from ordering from us because that's fucked up. But I always tell people, no one's got a gun to your head to buy these like limited edition ones because anything limited edition, we always keep a regular one in print. Like the black vinyl. Still sounds the same. Yeah. it's And as I always remind people, it's the same music. The same music's on there. You know, don't be, don't be a scumbag. Like just how about listen to the record, enjoy it. Like take it in. Maybe you know what? Be influenced by it and go make your own music and like or make your own art or like be inspired and like do something else. Like, you know, with it. Always want to keep the black vinyl or just you know, even those ones in print. And then people that want to collect the colored vinyls, that's great. That's cool. Hey, I like colored vinyl too. I got a bunch of really cool looking ones. And um but you know, I always want to keep the stand with the album. The album itself, no, you know, nothing else. The album is always in print. And then we can do all these other things to toy with it because people like that. People are into it. People like the way it looks or, you know, or whatever. And I want to make those people, um, you know, happy too. But I always want to keep, you know, the kind of regular one. So, yeah, I'm happy to make people uh, upset that, uh, you know, I think there's actually on Discogs, on the entry for that Burroughs record, there was a guy trashing us like in the, you can do like a, a, a review or a comment or something like that. Someone sent it to me. I never noticed it before. And it was amazing because he was like, you know, this label sucks. Fuck them. They pressed this record more than once. And they did a second pressing and fuck that. And, blah, and then, pretty much underneath it is just people like making fun of the guy. Like, you're just like, wow, you sound like a giant asshole. <laughs> like you don't realize how much of a prick you sound like, you know what I mean? It was amazing. He like, just, I didn't, I was just like, Oh good. That just like totally took care of itself. I was like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, cause it is, it's like, who are you? Like, <laughs> you know, print it and frame so, it, get it up in the office. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a good, it was a good one, and I think I even like liked his comment where he's trashing us. I was like, I'm gonna like that too, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just to be a snarky, it was cute. But I mean, it comes back to the idea at the core 
of the label, which is Deus means to elevate. And whether that be elevating yeah. new music or elevating old music, it's about making it accessible and getting it into people's hands to listen to. Yeah, it's getting it's getting it above. You know, there's a lot of a lot of noise out there and i don't mean the genre of music i just mean in general like societal noise you know and there's there's a lot of yeah like who and anon and like it's sometimes i mean fuck there's so much amazing stuff that comes out that i completely miss and i don't find out about it for a year or two and it's just because there's all this noise and i'm missing things and i mean i'm happy when i've find it but you know if we can get people's attention on just one thing you know like one one release or something like that where they're just like i didn't even know about this i mean a lot of people don't a lot of people follow the label but there's a lot of people that just got really into one or two things on the label and they have no idea about the other stuff but then sometimes we'll like point it out or profile it or whatever and they're like holy shit i had no idea you were doing this other stuff and i just found out about it and even though they were a fan of something else you know um you know certain people that have you know are fans of the band coil and have kind of know about us through that but like these are people that had a no idea we existed before coil and a lot of people don't buy anything but coil stuff but there are some people that are just like well if they're putting out coil chances are i might enjoy some of these other things that I've never heard of. Sure enough, that's exactly what happens. They're just like, Hey, I picked up this Dread Majesty record. It's just, I don't know. I liked it, you know, or they pick up a hero con or Drew McDowell's solo records. So that would make more sense, but like things like that. So like, cool. I'm turning on someone that probably hasn't really checked out new music in a long time. And now they're checking out new music. And, and hey, I like to point people in the direction of other labels because me and Gibby are friends with a lot of people that have, have labels as well. Like, you know, you know, my friend Caleb does Sacred Bones and stuff like that. And we've, and we've worked with Sacred Bones a couple of times on like kind of collaborative joint releases. And, you know, I'm always like, hey, if you like this, you should check out this thing on Secret Bones. It's really amazing. Like, you know, it's right up your alley, you know, and, and you know, either they know about it or they don't. And, you know, and there's plenty of other labels, you know, like I said, a cows has got like a connection with us. We've worked with those guys on a lot of things. So it's that way, too, because um, that whole like kind of comp- I, I don't I don't see it as much, but that whole competitive nature that would come in these circles i'm glad isn't a thing because it was years ago and i hated it (laughs) to get to get things above that kind of like noise level and then through that disperse it into other avenues is sort of i got you know i guess i shouldn't say sort of it's definitely a, a strategy and a goal sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.